that little you know ridge just just exploded. It was like a grenade went off in it. And the fact that he was able to fall towards his left rather than like lose his balance and fall to the right, that was the whole difference between him living and dying. Welcome back to the non-standard 14er podcast, a podcast that talks about everything the root description leaves out about hiking Colorado's 14ers. The first here in Evergreen, we got Jacer Jack. Howdy. Tay Jack. Hey. Colorado Trail Patrick. Yo. I thought I was Walk Mode Pat. Walk Mode Patrick joining the podcast. Hey there. We also got the exiled Michigander joining the podcast from Salt Lake City. Very happy to be here with my friends from Colorado and Ohio. I'm um, Short Rope, and we got uh, Johan joining up the podcast from Ohio. Hello. Uh, Classic. What's Johan's uh, 14er handle? What's your uh, oh, yeah. trail name? or? Uh... Yeah, I've never had one. I don't know. What's a good nickname for me? Oh, hmm. uh, almost died on Capital Johan. Yeah. <laughs> Yolohan. The breaker of rocks. Oh, that's pretty good. I like that. Johan yeah. Solo. Johan Solo. Johan Solo. That's good. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've never heard that one before. Oh, sorry. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Tell, tell me that Chewbacca story I've heard a couple times from. Oh, that should be it, dude. Chewbacca. That's it. Sure. Chewbacca's uh, a pretty good one. Uh, so, anyway, uh, me and Sean were having a couple drinks at his place. And Sean had a couple brownies. I think you, you brought them over from Colorado. Oh, makes sense. Like, yeah, hey, it's going well. Fun night. Let's, let's eat some brownies. Uh, we eat the brownies, watch some TV, waiting for them to kick in. Now our path. The brownies weren't kicking in, and so then I was like, hey, I got those. I got some girls I play softball with on the softball team. Yeah. Let's invite them over to your place and have a campfire. Yeah. Uh, we light a campfire, set out a couple chairs, getting ready for the girls to come over. Uh, and all of a sudden, the brownies hit us. Oh. <laughs> and we're just sitting there plastered. I can't move. Girls come over. And they're just like, you know, we, we had, we had the, we at least offered them a drink. Okay. <laughs> so we got that far. And then I'm just sitting there in my mind, not moving. And I'm like, no one has said anything for at least 10 minutes. <laughs> I, I've, I've got to say something to save this. Like these girls are over at my, my place. I can't, you know, I can't just let this fall apart. So I, I say the only joke I could think of. I'm like, hey, hey, have you guys heard? of this Brazilian company called Baca. <laughs> They're like, mm, no, I haven't heard of them. But yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, they make shoes. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Oh, okay, they make shoes. I'm like, you, you get it? You get it? <laughs> Baca, shoes, shoe Baca. <laughs> I start laughing my ass off when I finally get it. And the girls never, never laugh at all. The girls and then it got awkward again. Okay, bye. Hey, bye. That's incredible. Did you think of that on your own on the spot? Uh, I, think I, I think I saw some meme about it online. It came to my mind. Incredible. So today is Capital Peak? Yeah. The long-awaited. Where is that? So we have uh, several people joining the podcast to talk about Capitol Peak. Uh, the Exile Michigander has done it twice. Colorado Trail Patrick has done it twice. Uh, Jace um, has done it in, in, on a different trip. And then Johan, it was his first 14er. So we have a different perspective of someone who's done a lot of canyoneering down in Utah, but has done very few Colorado mountain hikes. Capitol was his first peak, and it was almost his last peak ever, <laughs> as we'll talk about probably later in the podcast. So we have an interesting perspective of someone who's First 14er was most likely the hardest 14er out there. Oh, Johan's a stud mountaineer, but just because he did it as his first doesn't mean you should. We'll get into that in a second. So Capitol Peak, as said by Gary Roach. Jerry. Jerry. Jerry? Oh, shoot. Oh, he's never coming on the podcast. Oh, yeah, now it's over. That's it. You have to start over. Okay, Chris has a lot of editing. I know. Sorry? Capitol Peak, as said by 
Gary Roach. Jerry Roach. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, Jerry? Why is it spelled like that? Now you're not, not even your Jennifer. <laughs> All right, fine. Jerry, Jerry of the day. Down to All right, son. fine. All right, fine. Okay. The great Jerry. <laughs> not, it's not like he's a legend or anything. I don't know why. It just feels, it's a silent J. It feels right. Gary Roach. Gary Roach. Gary. <laughs> Jerry Roach. Jerry Roach. Like Ben Jerry. It's not Jerry. Yeah, it's it is. You said Gary twice. No, it's not Gary. You said Gary twice. And the third time, <laughs> Attica, I'll knowing you're right. Gary, <laughs> like SpongeBob's pet snail. Wow. Wait. Capital Peak, as described by Jerry Roach, is singular and stoic. Capital stands supreme as the northernmost Elk Range 14er. Capital leaps from its surrounding valleys and the extensive wilderness around the peak shields it from roadbound travelers. The U.S. Capitol building bears a faint resemblance to the Stout Peak. Oh, how interesting. But the peak's elegant line still challenge architects to match it. Love that line. I know, that's yeah, so, so cool. cool. Capitol has been called Colorado's hardest 14er. Many dispute that claim, but Capitol is certainly one of the hardest. Capitol's fame as a difficult peak is largely because of the Northeast Ridge's spectacular knife edge. Capital's easiest route, the Northwest, Northeast Ridge route, is a class four, and many parties on it actually rope it. Capital's 1,800-foot-high north face is one of Colorado's highest mountain faces, and this huh. great granite wall provides several technical climbs on fair to reasonable rock. Fair to reasonable. <laughs> That's an interesting way of saying. <laughs> Not Nowhere super. near good. It's just fair to reasonable at best. <laughs> I'm going to and read Middlebrook's uh, yeah. disclaimer as well, just to match Roach's. He said on the route description on 14ers.com, he says, hold on, capital letters. This is the most difficult of the standard 14er routes. It's long, tedious, and dangerous. Climbers have died here, including five in the summer of 2017. So don't take it lightly. Don't go if you don't have solid class three, four climb, climbing skills, and don't go just to check this mountain off your list. Mm. It's a serious climb, and we want you to make it back safely. This shouldn't be your first 14er, Johan. <laughs> called out. She actually put your name in on 14. Oh, man, I called out. <laughs> you know, like, does experience really even matter when you're talking about shit rock? You, you step on the wrong piece of rock, you're done. Like, it's not experience. But we were talking about this earlier about like the innate ability to be introduced to class three climbing. Uh, they guys did the Creston Needle and Peak the other day, and just knowing when you need three points of contact or four points or to check a rock or to know this is downward sloping or know that this moves, I'm in trouble. It's kind of like a learned skill. Well, and I think the ability to put on your cat feet, and it sounds like you already had that from your canyoneering and your mountain, your prior mountaineering experience, but the ability to put on your cat feet. And even as a 260 pound guy, I can still step lightly on some of these rocks. And that has come through experience of walking on that rock. But I agree, Johan, to some extent, it's kind of a wrong place at the wrong time. Like that whole mountain's crumbling, most of the elks are. So it's a combination of experience of putting on your cat feet and then also just kind of threading the needle and stacking the, stacking the odds in your favor. Okay, back up, Johan. I didn't know this was your first 14er. So what, what was that like as your first 14er? Yeah, so a uh, little bit of background. I'd spent a couple years in Utah. Uh, Okay. I'd done, I'd done a couple 13ers in Utah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd done a lot of the smaller peaks, you know, 11, 12,000 feet, a lot of canyons, a lot of rock climbing. I was more of a rock climber, so I was very comfortable in the mountains. And my buddy Sean was like, hey, you got to try this peak with me, man. Like, it's awesome. You're going to love it. Got a couple good friends out there. Uh, that was the first time I met you, Patrick, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. Like, I'm not, I'm not afraid of anything. Like, I climb. I've done a little bit free solo, like, you know, super easy, like super easy stuff, you know, five, six, five, seven kind of stuff. Like, yeah, let's do super it. Super easy, five, six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Talk about sandbagging. Yeah. So I wasn't afraid. Uh, and now, yeah, more bigger challenge, uh, the more motivated, more motivated I am. Uh, but honestly, like it was harder and more dangerous than, than I was expecting. And that just, it wasn't just the fall. It was like the whole shebang of the, coming down seeing the storms coming coming at you dodging lightning like it was, that was a lot especially for a first peak and you drove from salt lake city the, the whole first day or did you break it up the drive well no i think we we drove up we drove up that morning 
and we, me and Sean drove up in this truck and we met you guys at the trailhead uh, to begin our first leg. So that was a long first day for us. That's a good, yeah. How many hours? Five hours at least, probably in the car, and then seven mile hike into Low Capital That's Lake. A long day. Yep. yep. Yeah, but it. well, it's not really that much farther than the drive from Denver, really. A couple, of, couple more hours. Thinking about, you know, and a lot of people look at Capitol Peak and, you know, maybe some people know a little about it. Some people don't know a lot about it. What, what did you know about it before um, you had made the decision to come out with Sean? Had you looked it up on the Internet? Have you read Jerry Roach's book? Uh, yeah. What was your knowledge? I knew nothing about it. I knew two things. I knew that it was a 14er and that it had a sick looking knife edge ridge. And I was like, I really want to do this thing. And boy, did I bite off more than, than I could chew, I think. <laughs> but, but, but Sean had done it before. And you're with some people who are pretty good skills. It's not like you were just decided to go climb a 14 or those hardest in Colorado with no experience and no guide or no knowledge. Yeah, yeah very much so. I would not have gone by myself, absolutely. Like, I'm not dumb. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident in my map reading skills and manuring skills. But the, the fact is, I just, I didn't have the years of experience. And I knew that. And I would not have done that kind of peak by myself. So listeners, don't do that peak by yourself. <laughs> did you but, get talked into it at all? Uh, did I get pressured into it? Yeah, no, not pressured. Just talked into it. <laughs> no, pressure, no. Pressured, so. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Uh, the reason Sean and I are friends is because Sean says, hey, let's do this. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Perfect. 100%. So there, there was no pressure needed. Uh, I'm down for an adventure. And I, I'd hiked with him enough. We'd done enough stuff, crazy things in Utah that I knew he – it was totally within his skill set, especially, you know, again, yeah, alone, he probably didn't have as much experience at that altitude, but he'd already done, you know, a 13,000 foot peak or two in Utah. He was a really skilled rock climber, much better rock climber than any of us. I can guarantee that. Um, so I knew he could do it. Um, and yeah, and I asked him and he was like, yeah, sounds fun. So I, I tried not to pressure you. If I did, I'm sorry, Johan. <laughs> no. No, in fact, I'm, I'm part of those. I, I believe you and I uh, roped up together, Stifler. And that was... That's where they call me Short Rope. That's, that's where yeah. the Short Rope name came from. Name. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That is where it came from, that trip. It, it wasn't on the knife edge like people would think. It was crossing one of those snow gullies that was <laughs> nasty looking, I thought. If you, if you slid off that snow gully, you would slide for a thousand feet probably. Snow gully where? Because that misled me when I did it. And I was like, I pictured a snow gully like past the knife edge. But Pat told me it was actually a snow goalie prior to even K2. Yeah, this is past the knife edge. Between the knife what? edge and the summit. Oh, okay. Below that the face. Snow? Yeah. Were you guys roped up? Yep. I don't remember snow being on that we side. Didn't, we didn't rope up on the way back because we were spooked about the lightning. But on okay. the way up there, we were deliberate. And, but it's only like literally four steps. Like you could, if you could probably long jumped over the snow, if you had enough distance. But it was – I thought it was sketchy looking. So we had the short rope, and I was just – he tied a little bowline knot to, to Johan, and I crossed real quick, and he crossed behind me, and I'm safe. I, I was just going to say, there was considerable snow that year um, once you got across the knife edge, I remember. There were, you know, there were sections of snow that the first time I did Capital certainly weren't there, so. We were on snow the whole way from Daly to K2. Yeah. What was it like this year? Half and half. A little bit of snow, not a ton. That's, I think that's where I, you know, my memory recalls not what it used to be for sure, I guess. But um, there were a few snow goalies across that you had the snow field up just to the boulder field below K2. There was no snow beyond K2 yeah. to the summit. Microspikes and an axe were sufficient, if not overkill on the axe. Microspikes would have been enough probably. What yeah, month? Half and half. Yeah. Was it July? Mid-July? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was about the same time, just, uh, yeah, just a different kind of snow year. Um, so yeah, when we were going across, it's, uh, we, you know, we, I think Jason and I were the only ones that had an ax this time around. I know the first time when we went, Johan, we, we all had axes and spikes as well, but yeah, it was considerable uh, more snow. I was glad to have it. We had one gully near the top. It was kind of the same thing, like two steps with massive exposure underneath where I used my ax as like a handrail for those two steps and then threw it back to you. And then you threw it back to the guy behind us Oh, mm -hmm. and we missed it on the way down, but I was actually pretty glad to have that just as a handrail is worth toting up the whole way doesn't weigh much you can no. save your life why wouldn't you you know and it, it looks awesome in photos news instead of let's not forget that let's do it for the gram yeah do it for the gram 
I just wanted to start out, I mean, this is considered one of Colorado's most difficult 14ers. So I'm curious, I have backpacked into Capitol. I have not summited Capitol. So I'd like to hear from the people who have summited. Why is this considered one of Colorado's most difficult? I would say we hear from the uh, the first time guy first. Who has no other 14ers to compare to. That's it, yeah. This is one. Yeah. But yeah, I've heard this one through the grapevine. I'm curious to hear the story from you. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So a few things that I think I thought made it difficult was I think the route finding wasn't tr was not trivial, and if you get off route, uh, there's sketchy rock all over the place, and there were several areas where you had to actually do some like, like honestly, like five five climbing, five six, you know, short ten feet areas, make two big moves and you're done, but that's I mean that's real, real moves. Absolutely. And and then just the exposure, like. There's no room for error. I mean, there's there's room for error, obviously, but uh, less room for error than than you'd expect. And for the crumbly rock, uh, and the, just the fact that I think it's a big long day, and you gotta time it right so you can avoid the storms. Like I think all those things put together make it, in my mind, made it made it a real adventure, which means there was some danger involved. I mean, you say a big day, a big day from the lake, already seven miles in. Yes, it's a big day, and if you start at when you're supposed to at 3 a.m., it's reasonable. When you start at the time we did, I don't know, we woke up late that day. What time did we wake up at? Four, five? Four, we were hiking by. I think we were hiking by five, five thirty. It was pretty, it was later than we're typically getting going, especially when you know that the forecast has yeah. got that, you know, 30, 40% plus chance. Well, that's the thing that I overlooked about Capital that you just touched on, Johan, was that the, just what a long day it is and how mentally and physically taxing it is. Um, I spent so much time and I, and I just wrote a trip report and wrote this as kind of one of my final thoughts on the trip report is like, I spent so much time thinking about the exposure and the climbing and the class four and the shitty rock that I completely overlooked the fact that it is four to four and a half hours, K2 and back where you're just gripped. Like you are just no fall zone, complete focus. And then you get back to K2 and get down to the lake and we got back down to the lake and Taylor's trying to make conversation with us. And even though we had had a great day out, nothing went wrong. You and I were both shell shocked, like just like didn't want to make conversation. We're ready to just pack up camp and get the hell out because we were tired. And I think there's a difference between doing three hours on Harvard and Columbia versus like three hours on Capitol where you're like sewing machine leg, like gripped for your life. Um, and it, uh, it wore me out mentally pretty good. And I think that was the hardest part of the whole hike that I overlooked. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just that every single handhold matters. Every single footstep, you can't overlook anything for like the difficult sections. That's exhausting. Yeah. You literally have to, you have to be focused once you get, and you do, you try to stay focused every part of the mountain because you can, you can have stupid accidents anywhere. Right. But um, once you get to K2, you have to put not just your helmet on, but you got to put your, your actual head on and, and, and you have to keep your head on a swivel and um, it's, it really is. It's, it's mentally just exciting um, and exhausting at the same time. So you're just, you're always, there's not a moment where you can just stop and say, okay, you know, I, I feel a sense of relief. Like we've, we've crossed a goalie or we made it around a move because it is easy to get off route. And I know right after the knife edge uh, with Jace, we, you know, we got off route just a little bit. And I remember Jace saying like, that was, a lot more of a hairy move than I thought we were going to see after the knife edge. It got progressively hairy for us, hairier after the knife edge. Yeah, and we caught the we caught the route uh, pretty quick after that. But you could just a little bit up, a little bit you know down, and you can turn your day from class four to class five, you know five like like Johan said. It can you can you can really get yourself into some trouble on that mountain. A lot of people have. But there is a pretty sharp juxtaposition between like getting into class five accidentally on like Cresso needle, like we did last weekend. And then class five on Capitol where your handholds are like bowling ball size rocks that are ready to peel off any second. Like that's what gripped me so bad was making these like five, two moves on like baby skulls. Like it was just <laughs> with 2000 feet under you. Yeah. And the time we were up there at, the one time you can relax is you get to the peak and normally you'd be able to relax for a minute, enjoy the view. But it, the only thing we got is we got to see the clouds, storm clouds rolling toward us. Thunder on the peak on us on the summit. And it's like, okay, we got 60 seconds. Let's rest a minute or two and let's get going back. 
because there's no bailout points on the knife edge. So what was that, what was that like for you guys? I've heard the story, but I'd love for our listeners to get to relive that with you. When you got chased off of the summit across the knife edge by lightning. Yeah. You know, like I think Johan has probably got a really unique perspective of <laughs> going through, yeah. through that yeah. compared to the rest of us that could only watch, but uh, yeah, Johan, you should probably, you should probably take this one. Yeah, for sure. So, so we get to the peak, take a minute to enjoy the view and say, all right, we, we got to head back. These, these, you know, these guys that they know what they're doing, they're, they're telling us that's super dangerous. We can't, we can't get caught on the, on the knife edge or on the ridge, ridge line when these clouds hit us. So, okay, we start going back. Uh, and we were taking turns uh, leading. I think Patrick took a turn leading, Steph took a turn leading, Sean took a turn leading. And we traversed the trickiest part of, I believe we had, we were making steady, steady, steady time, going quickly, but, but carefully. We had traversed the hardest part of, or the trickiest part of the knife edge. You know, we had, we had passed the butt scoot and we were, we were still on the ridge line, but we had, we had maybe a, let's say 18 inch path, maybe, maybe close to 20 inch wide path that we were, that we were walking across uh, along the ridge line and maybe like a set of handholds at maybe a chest height, maybe, you know, some, maybe some uh, head height, some a little bit lower. And finally, uh, my turn came, came up to lead. Okay, that's good. Let's do it. Now, yeah, I'm careful. Uh, I'll tr- try to keep a good pace. And now in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I, I'm trying to be fast, but you, you cannot rush this. Like, I'm not dumb. You cannot rush this step by step, test each handhold, test each foothold. And we, so we're traversing this uh, ridge line and we come to a spot where there's like a big, a big uh, step down, you know, like a, you know, two, three feet step down uh, along the narrow path. So, okay. So I'm going to grab my handhold about chest high with like some kind of rocks on top of it at, you know, head height, a little bit above head height. So I grab this little baby skull. I give it, I give it a little shake. I put maybe half my body weight on it. Oh, it feels good. Okay. So then uh, I start to shift a little bit more of my body weight as I take this kind of big step down and all of a sudden uh, it collapses. So this, this whole handhold and all the rocks on top of it just collapse. Uh, as I was like, I haven't, even, I haven't even stepped down yet. I'm like about to step down. Uh, and I just see, so it, my mind goes to slow-mo and this is, and this image is just burned into my head. Like, you know, I look up, I see everything collapsing and I just react. And in my mind, I imagine what I'm about to do. In my mind, what I'm about to do is I'm going to jump backwards off, jump backwards off this ridge line. And uh, a little bit more context, this ridge line uh, on the left side of this ridge line, sheer cliff. What was it? 2,000 foot drop, I think. 2,000 foot drop. Easily, yeah. Uh, so I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to jump backwards off of this ridge line and catch catch the ledge that I had been standing on with my arms. And it's going to be awesome. I'm totally going to survive this. Like in my mind, there was, I knew I was going to survive. Uh, and this is just one of those few times in, in life where uh, reality is actually a little bit weirder than what you imagine. So I jumped backwards off of this. No look. There was no time to look down. Jump backwards. And, and I'm looking, I'm only looking at the, at the ridge I just jumped off. Like, okay, I'm going to catch this with my arms. And I'm, I'm a climber. I can... I can shock load all my weight with all this reason. I'm going to shock load onto my arms. I'll, I'll catch it, whatever. But actually my feet hit a little ledge, but about three or four feet below the ledge we had been walking on. So my feet hit this little ledge. And in my mind, I just react. Oh, this is awesome. So I, my feet hit this little ledge and my arms, I grab my, the, the ledge we had just been standing on was probably at high chest height, almost, almost chin height. So I grab it with my arms, my feet are secure. And I can just see the rocks crumbling next to me. Oh. I don't know, a couple hundred pounds worth of rocks, uh, some the size of my head, some smaller, just cascading down this like 2,000 foot sheer drop. Oh my gosh. Uh, and at that point, it was just pure instinct. Like I wasn't thinking about anything. It's just, hey, I'm alive. I survived. Oh, this, I can't believe my feet hit this ledge. That's amazing. I can't, that is awesome. Uh, but then about a second later, uh, I believe Sean was, with a stiffler and Sean were directly above me and I see them looking down at me <laughs> trying to pull me up. Uh, and then it, it kind of starts to hit me and the adrenaline starts to wear off and I start shaking a little bit and I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm alive. I, I can't believe, I can't believe it happened. So they, uh, stiff and Sean each reached down, pulled me right up to the ledge we were just standing on. 
uh, and we take a minute to reassess. And the first thing I think it was, I think it was Sean. You're like, man, I can't believe you're alive. That was Sean. Because the rock didn't hit you, which could have hurt you significantly. And also, the yeah. rock fell 2,000 feet, which you could have done. Johan describes it as the rocks, just, you know, the fin that he was holding with his hand collapsing. And being behind him, it was the weirdest thing because they didn't collapse. It was like they exploded. Yeah. It was like all of the potential energy of 2,000 years on that ridgeline had saved up for that moment. And, you know, they say these things about, like, you know, sometimes no matter how prepared you are or how experienced you are, shit just happens in the mountains. And that was the thing. Like, Johan was doing absolutely nothing wrong, was putting hardly any weight on it, and that, that little, you know, ridge just just exploded. It was like a grenade went off in it. And the fact that he was able to fall towards his left rather than, like, lose his balance and fall to the right, that was the whole difference between him living and dying. Because he would have went over the edge and fallen 2,000 feet and would yeah. not be talking to him right now. Whew. You know, Johan, you said, like, that was instinct, but I, I do think a big part of that is, like, you had also rock climbing experience. Like, you know, thinking about those things, even in those split seconds, I mean... His muscle memory at that point. Right. Yeah. Like you, you're a gecko. You're a rock gecko at that point trying wow. to stick to the wall. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's looking back on now that that's what made the difference. I'm just very comfortable at heights, very comfortable on rock. I'm like, okay, there's something going wrong here. I'm, I'm going to jump and I'm going to catch this other piece of rock. Right. Uh, and, and it's fair to say that, you know, for somebody that's listening that, you know, that's looking to tackle this peak and it's maybe they're only a few in or they don't have that experience on rock. And we talked about skills, maybe, you know, the skill is important, but you don't gain skill without experience and experience is a really tough teacher. You know, you get the test first and the lesson later. Right. Mm -hmm. So you, you got more experience there because you came from one environment where you're used to climbing and, and you're this badass climber, but you get on a mountain uh, like Capitol and it's almost very little climbing and a lot more of just scrambling and, and, figuring stuff out as you go. Um, but if, if you didn't have that experience, you wouldn't feel that comfort. You would might panic and you might go right and you might be at the bottom of that ravine. Um, so it's, it's super important to get that experience. And it's crazy that you got that. And it's, that wasn't even, that was the scariest. And when Sean did yell like, I can't believe you're alive. And like you said, I was up above, I was in the trail. Um, you know, at the, the end of the, the, the team. And, and I just remember, yeah, we all made eye contact. Like, it happened so fast. And like Sean said, the rock didn't just, like, cleave off. It didn't just shave off. It didn't crumble. Like, it, it like, was force. It was almost like Johan just ripped it out of the mountain. And it brought its friends with him. And all we could do was stare because there was absolutely nothing any of us could have done to, oh. to change what, what happened. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a pretty surreal. It was the first time on any mountain I've ever seen something like that close of a call. I think it sobered us up though, because we still had to cross K2, which I think is some of the worst climbing on that mountain. And we were very, and there's some snow on that when we were doing it. So we took a more, a difficult route and we were very respectful of the rock then getting back over K2. Oh, I was just going to say, I think for people that are listening, they may not know what the daily saddle is and they may not know what K2 is. So just briefly, like you, you backpack in, right? You're at Capitol Lake, then what? Well, the backpack end's not worth glossing over it? either. It's a seven-mile approach up to, like, what, eight different campsites mm -hmm. where we ran into a ranger. He tried to turn us around because we didn't have a bear canister. Like, there are lots of hurdles to get through before you <laughs> even get to the lake. Ranger Bob. Yeah, Ranger Bob. Yeah. So have, bring your bear canisters. More on that later. Yeah, more on that later. So get to the lake, get a campsite. Then what? It's a, yeah, you have a, then then you have a hall. Like you're looking, you're staring at the, the saddle between daily. Um, uh, and it's, it's a quad burner. It's nothing, it's nothing to scoff at, but it's switched back up. And, um, you know, it's, it, it'll burn you on the way up. And then once you get over it, you're thinking, okay, you know, a typical 14er in Colorado, you gain a ridge and you head for the summit, right? This right. one, no, you get the ridge, you're back down and then you're staying below the You're well, so far from even getting to K2. It's a, it's you're there for a while that's what threw me off too is like if you're starting at the proper time on capital you're starting in the dark and for us we were like all but jogging up the daily saddle we made it up to the top in 35 minutes 
and then it's still dark at the top and then there's some like roof finding right away you drop down drop, yeah you can either drop straight down into this gully or do this like really hairy like class four traverse around this gully right off the bat the trail just disappears and the roof finding starts and then beyond that you have talus hopping and a couple hours of snow crossing before you even get to k2 and then it's put your game face on so that's like man so, so k2 is another little hump it's on that, that ridge rock and it's like the hump to go over it or okay. if you go around it when there's no snow it's easier to class three but most of the time there's snow on it so you get kind of as i remember a harder route on that sharp jaggedy rock but i thought for me like i thought we'd be up to k2 in no time because you start from the lake you get up the daily saddle you think it's just kind of around the corner and up but you you know take a leak put your micro spikes on and you're like you're trucking for a long time and we weren't moving slow and it took us we started at what like four 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 fifteen mm-hmm. and we weren't to k2 until seven from capital lake from capital lake so three hours to k2 and we weren't daily wow. dying. like i took took my time i had to find a rock and do my business but um I mean, we were legit like two and a half, three hours to just to get to K2. And so then when we refer to like pre-K2 and post-K2, K2 is kind of where the action starts. But before that, it's not really to be overlooked. It's kind of three chapters, like the trek in and then from the lake to K2 and then from K2 to the summit back. That's a good way to say that. It's easy to make it difficult. And it's it's so demoralizing when you drop elevation. I think anytime you're losing elevation and it's kind of demoralizing when you know you have to regain it. Um, but on capital, it's, it's even worse. Cause like you're, you got the adrenaline and it's like, okay, I'm ready to do this. And it's like, you get to the daily saddle and it's like, oh, before I even get to the technical stuff, I have to lose all this elevation, then regain it and then cross snow fields. Um, but I would agree with Jace, like K2 is, K2 is, I think more, depending on the route you choose going up and over it, I think it is definitely without question, a looser rock than the rest of the route and i also think it's you know unless you're lucky enough to choose just the right route it's more technical climbing than most of the rest of the route and does it seem i think is the crux does it seem to you guys too like that south face is almost overhung like when you look at the back of it like if you go up and over straight over and just keep going straight you're over this like overhanging face Mm Like K2 um, looks K2. gnarly it's, looking back. It's overhung for sure. It's bad elk range, like snowmass rock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the worst. A lot of my girl, my ex-girlfriend said I was overhung, but. <laughs> <laughs> Why are they ex-girlfriends? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's all the more reason. I, I hope you, you cut that stiffler, that last guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope he doesn't. all the more reason i mean that's i really admire johan because after that fall like so he he was so calm when it happened and then we picked him up and then like it was i don't know 40 40 seconds 45 seconds and then he kind of he like kind of slowly turned a little white and then kind of was shaken just a little bit as that like realization kicked in but then it was like you know, I don't know. We, we, we didn't stay there very long, maybe a minute, minute we had and a bad half. Weather. Kind of we caught moved. his breath, collected himself. And then he was like, okay, let's, let's go over like K2, which is the worst part of the whole thing. That takes some pretty big balls to be like, cause I'd have been just like called rock, mountain rescue. I, I can't do this. And Johan <laughs> was just like, yeah, it's, you know, it's cool. I'm, I'm, you know, it was a little scary, but I'm fine. And let's do the rest of this thing. So that was pretty awesome. I think, and I think, for, you know, personal growth must've been pretty, pretty cool for you, Johan. I don't know. Yeah, that was hard, man. Like that was uh, a whole lot of being nervous and scared for the next two or three hours as we're getting, there's lightning around us. We're getting hailed on, we're getting rained on. <laughs> and I'm trying to keep up with you guys and I'm like going slower than everyone. And I'm just trying to keep one foot in front of the other. I'm just like loose rock. So that was, that was, that was very, that was my mental limit. I think that day I found it. <laughs> you got the full experience. You got the bad weather, you got the rock crumbling, you got, I mean, you had the 14er experience. It was your first one. Keep telling the stories. We got safely over K2, and we were back with our ice axes going across that snow field. And Sean decided that he wanted to take a shift in the middle of a thunderstorm. <laughs> oh, I didn't decide that. Some, my bowels decided that for me. I didn't, trust me, I did not want to do that then and there. And Patrick and I were so spooked by the lightning, we were moving and we didn't want to wait for you. 
And then yep. we looked over our right shoulder, and then you're like glissading down with your ice axe in the air and the thunderstorm yelling, this is the best job I've ever had. Yuri? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's awesome. Don't, yeah, don't do, don't do that, kids. <laughs> well, that's the thing that I found was almost like um, kind of claustrophobic. Like every step you take, you have to take that exact step back. Like it's not like a Swatch 14 where it can be three hours up and an hour down. You can just jog down if you get stuck in lightning. Like every step you take has the exact same but opposite step in the other direction. Like it's yeah. two hours up and two hours down, exact same. Like. There's nowhere to bail. So you guys get caught in the lightning storm and you're, you know, guy has rock fall just before K2 and you still have to get up and over K2. That, that's so freaky. That's not a good spot to get caught. No, he's right. The composure of, of Johan was impressive, man. He just, uh, yeah, to go through that and then to, to realize, put on your game face again and say, all right, <laughs> we still got to get over K2, which, you know, I think we all agree is yeah, the worst part. And then the weather, because the weather's moving in. And then, of course, there's a couple, there's the, the token – uh, you know, out of towners that don't know where they're going, they're trying to skirt around the left side of K2. And, and when we were panicking, yeah. that was after after Johan had the fall. They're coming up in the store. Up K2. Oh, no. Up K2 on the wrong side. Yeah, and, and I think it was it was Sean or Stippler, but they're like, like that's uh, one, that's not that's not the route, and two, you need to be going the other direction because this this is no place to be in that weather. I mean, it was flash banging, and like Johan said, it started out with rain, then it went to hail. Then it was grappled, then it was back to hail, then rain. The wind was whipping, the temperature dropped 20 degrees, like in the span of 30 minutes. It Did they long. listen to you? No. No. Uh, but we didn't read about them in the paper, so clearly they found waiting out here they That's the problem. They made it, and they went home and told their wives, oh, I did capital in a thunderstorm, and then they're going to do it again. Yeah. That, that brings up another point, too. Like, with this weather on these peaks, like, in the Sawatch, if a storm rolls in, your only risk, really, is getting struck by lightning. But in the elk range or these other ranges that are so loose, and the sand grains like with Little Bear, when it rains, your chance for rockfall goes up 500% when it rains. And so, like, even though you're not going to get struck, if it's wet on that route, cool. that's a no-go. Like, that, that freaks me out more than lightning. The rock is wet, and then you have the, you know, the, the heat from the day on the rock, and then you have the sudden cooling of the water getting into the cracks. Of rock. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's exponentially more dangerous for sure. But I didn't even know that. It was blue, it was Bluebird that when you got on K two and that's the money shot you had the knife edge facing you in the capital, it was Bluebird. So we took our photos on the way over in Bluebird weather, and it wasn't two hours later and then this thunderstorms rolled in. That's crazy. Yeah, it it came in fast and and as we're going down it, and so Sean's doing his fury impression, um, sliding down the mountain with his axe in the air triumphantly, and uh, you know Stepper and I are on full sprint. I mean we did the entire. I, I mean, I had my micro spikes on, and they were on my feet all the way back to camp. Because at that even, stage, even in the rock, yeah, we just went even in the rock, rock, you're just going because it's. I mean, it's it's socked in so bad you can barely see around you, and all you can, but you can see the flash, and you can feel the thunder. Oh, yeah, and so we're just just cruising. We'd glissade down as much as you could, get up and run, and, and yeah, so that's really dangerous because that's where accidents are really going to happen on the descent, especially in bad weather, especially on you know, slick uh, rock. Yeah, and we stashed our poles there by the daily saddle, mm -hmm. grabbed them. And then it was a free for all run. And I think we jogged all the way back down to camp, which we camped below. Well, late. some of you assholes jogged all the way back. <laughs> <laughs> Cause we yeah. stayed together all the way to the daily saddle. And then we got yeah. there and like, Patrick has this thing. Patrick can go downhill faster than any person I've ever met. So he like he like drops it into this whole other gear and stifler can do that when he's frightened and so stifler did it too <laughs> Johan and were tired and like they were like you guys were like three quarters of a mile ahead of us before we even like picked up our trekking poles and we're like Fuck those guys they yeah. have a fire ready for us when we get back to camp <laughs> we're gonna be able to cuddle on the uh but we, 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 we are hypothermic though i mean we got back to our camp and got naked or basically stripped our all wet clothes down got into our down sleeping bags and just shivered uncontrollably for an hour it was pre-hypothermic pre absolutely I, tunnel vision couldn't stop shaking couldn't it just sounds hot yeah well, <laughs> the guys at the next it was side uh, thought so. that's better that's, that's Stimler, the next part of the story similar and i were actually to the, almost to the point after like 40 minutes of saying i can't get warm we were really contemplating the human maybe should, that's fine maybe we should go uh, but those guys rolled into camp, and we were feeling better. And then the, this is like when Stifler created the most 
amazing. This is like the ultimate firestorm story because the entire forest was just completely soaked. And it was still raining. And it's still raining. We're not going to find any, any firewood anywhere. And I'll let Sean tell the rest because he tells it really good. But um. All right. Well, so, yeah. So, so I, Johan and I got back to camp probably, I don't know, a half hour after Patrick and Stifler did. And I don't know about Johan, but I, I bet I shivered in my sleeping bag for probably 50 minutes, 45 to 50 minutes before I was like, could I stopped shaking, violently shaking because I was shivering so bad. And then just as I was kind of stopping and shaking, I could hear Patrick and Stifler moving about. And, uh, and I was like, well, shit, what are we going to do? Because I'm like freezing cold. Like, yeah, I've stopped shaking, but I'm still so cold. And I, I wish there's, we could have a fire, but it's like the ground is soaking wet. So that's not possible. So then I see Stifler, like Boy Scout, you know, uh, Stifler. He's like goes up to all these Douglas fir trees and he's pulling off the, the moss, the witch's beard or whatever they call it. And he kind of like shakes the moisture out of it and he goes to the next tree and shakes the moisture out of it and gets his little uh, Swedish fire sparker and starts the damn witch's beard on fire and then he gets these like super wet little sticks and he starts building this fire up. And I don't know, it wasn't very long, I don't know, 20 minutes he had this nice fire going. It was amazing. He was a witch. It was witchcraft, witch's man. Beard. There's no way. <laughs> That's so, incredible. So we got we were soaking wet, so we we're trying to air uh, dry out our clothes. And so we're Johan. There's a photo of Johan Patrick and I, and we're all in our underwear, like hanging our clothes over the fire. And that's when this guy from a Canada guy come into our camp and said, "Do y'all have a blowtorch? Because I don't have no idea how you got a fire started." <laughs> and we said, "No, we just got a good fire, you know. And you're welcome to share a fire with us." And he looked at Johan and Patrick and I in our underwear. And he just like slowly backed out of camp backwards. <laughs> Keep the design. He's just... like, rather die of hypothermia. <laughs> He's like, I'm good. I'm good. We'll figure it out. Thanks, so. <laughs> It's just three dudes hanging around in their underwear in camp. And, and it, but we had all the gear. We had the puppies and the rain. And so we were totally prepared. But that's how quickly that stuff can move in up there. And when you're in an exposed area like that, Sometimes there is no time to get the proper gear on because we were soaked before we could have got them out of our pack. It came out like a like a waterfall, like Niagara. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I, I was wearing, I was wearing my rain jacket, my rain my rain jacket the entire way down. Like I had that with me. I put that on in a second. It doesn't matter. Like that wind is just like shoveling snow and ice into your face. It soaks your jacket. It soaks through your pants. It doesn't matter if you have the rain gear on, man. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask you guys. You and I did that several years later, more recently, but from this experience, was there any big takeaway or any lesson that you guys learned or was it just pure happenstance kind of is what it is, got caught in bad weather? I, yeah, I can't, I can't look back and think that, I mean, you can always, you can always say, Oh, well, we could have started earlier. I don't know. I think, but I think, I think we did, we did our due diligence. We knew the route, we were prepared, we had the gear. We were fueled up. We were, you know, hydrated. Um, we were all experienced. Uh, you know, Johan was an experienced climber, so he, you know, and he was with in good company. And I, I don't think that there's anything that we could have done differently. Sometimes it's just the mountain is just does what the mountain does. I, I would tell listeners that you can almost reach out and touch the summit from Summit Lake or from Capitol Lake, and we kind of got a little complacent, thinking we've hiked in eight miles ish or whatever. Maybe we should just sleep in an extra hour not knowing how far from daily to K2 it was. And so I wouldn't underestimate, even if you're that close to it, still start earlier than you think. And no well, shortcuts. It's my slowest miles per hour on any 14er. Like it's not that much mileage, but it's like less than a mile an hour. And we moved at a pretty good clip. We didn't take a break from K2 to the summit and back. Other than on the summit, and it was four hours, less than a mile an hour. Outside of like Dodge and Rockfall. And yeah. you know, there was a few yeah, people I, getting off right above us, but. I remember being up there and Sean's like, oh, yeah, it's just a couple miles from here to the summit. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be easy. What's the big deal? I had no idea how hard it was going to be. Let's go back to Ranger Bob. Ooh. That was, our, that was our story. That was 2015. That was Johan, Patrick, Sean, and I. Let's shift gears and do your story from 2020. 
So we had almost an opposite experience where it was miserable because it was so dry and so hot <laughs> oh, man. that I had to shake out all my equipment afterward and get all the dust off of it um, because it was 87 degrees and no shade. So we had a bit of a different experience, but I think our biggest hurdle getting in was, you know, b besides the dust and the heat, um, you know, we got up to the lake in three hours, but there was a, at mile five and a half or mile six, past, 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 past the gate, past everything, past almost the tree line. There was a ranger who was stopping people like, I need to have a little chat with you. Doing his job, fine with me. Um, and he's like, you guys all have wag bags? Yep. You have a dog. Thank you for having him on leash. You're welcome. Do you guys all have bear canisters? Uh, and he's uh, like, let me see it. Let uh, me see it. And he, I'm like, bro, do you have a warrant? Like he like wanted us to empty our bags and show us our, show, show him the bear canister. And about that time, another party rolls up and he was sending people back. There's a father and a son that he's like, sorry guys, tough luck. Go back to the car. Can't have you in the wilderness. Five miles in. Yes. Yep. Send him back. Tough shit. And we're like, oh my had a wag bag. So they were for free at the, so. Tough shit. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, poop, poop pun, stupid. nice. <laughs> Crappy joke. <laughs> so there's this other party that rolls up and just, I have a hard time lying, but this party obviously didn't because they were like, yep, bear canister, we're all good, thanks. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Like three of you, three of us, like, do you have one of those big ones we can like toss some in? He's like, yeah, man, no problem. Perfect. Like, Cause awesome. we were planning on hanging ours. Yeah. So. What's the always do? We struck a deal, fine. And the ranger was like, okay, I trust you guys. I trust you're good for your word. We made it up another mile up to the lake, set up camp, all this and that. This guy shows up two hours later at dinner time. The ranger. Ranger. And he's doing rounds around all the campsites to make sure that we had a bear canister and he was still sending people back. And he came up to our campsite and he said, hey, how was that deal you struck up with the other group? Where are they and where's your stuff? Wow, he followed up on that. Yep, big time. Totally so, didn't see that coming. No, not thinking. Was yeah. Like, yeah, he's Jason's like the whole time. He's like, he's gonna come check. So get this, these guys. We get like, you know, hundred yards from our campsite, and they catch up to us. And like, you guys, we have something to admit to you. We don't have a bear canister. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, First of all, you're great liars. Yep. Second Thank of all, now you made you us like into liars. Position. Yeah. Well, because we were like taking bets. I was like, I would go to Vegas with these odds that they don't have a bear canister. Oh, like, you were right. Like, I were like, convincing, 50, 50. man. Like, and when Taylor was like, luckily we had Taylor because she's cute. She batted her eyelashes. There was even a group in front of us and the ranger was like, well, these guys were in front of the line first. And Taylor was like, well, I'm the one that struck the deal first. And he was like, oh, that's fair. So so we get up there. They lie, they lie to us. But we go up to this other group that very visibly has bear canisters out there doing a through hike. We, Taylor. They send Taylor. <laughs> no, both of us. And I we, camp. I didn't do we offered to <laughs> carry out their trash because they were doing a five-day through hike. We offered to carry out their trash in exchange for a spot in their bear canister. So let it be known that we did follow the rules, albeit with a little creative thinking, and we carried their trash out the next day. So before we even got to the lake, we were like, our, our trip was almost over. Wow. Um, so that's, okay. they're so cracking down more on that. Bear yeah. Bring a bear canister. It was and, a and the room, and the, all Maroon Bills Wilderness. The whole yeah. Maroon Bills Wilderness now. Yeah. And, and look, and this this goes back, like, and, and Jace made a comment to Ranger Bob, and he's like, look, man, we, you know, we're all, we're from here. We grew up doing this. I mean, I'm four years old. I've been camping since I was like six. I like 34 years. We've never done it differently. But the not point, I guess, is, is that most people don't do it the right way. Right. Don't hang their food the right way. And that's why they have to do it. It's just, it's just gotten out of control. And unfortunately, I understand that. With, you know, they got to regulate it for everybody. It's not like because you've lived here for 40 years, you're granted special privileges. Neither am I. Like, unfortunately, we're grouped into the same group of the Texans who it's their first 14 and they've never heard of a bear canister. Or, or there, heard of hanging their food. Or the Johans. So, no, nothing against that. But I mean, I mean, everybody has to be in the same group. It's the lowest common denominator. So, uh, my next purchase was a bear canister. I hate it. It's three pounds empty, but I'm well, getting used to it. Takes a lot of room. It's awful. And it's nothing awful. really fits in it no, correctly. It's okay. Right? It's okay. So, yeah. Whatever. It's it fine. sucks. So, for listeners at home, you might want to check out uh, the Ursac, U-R-S-A-C-K. It's it's a bear canister that's some sort of, it's like a Kevlar kind of sack. Apparently, it's, I don't have one. I don't get any many money from ursac.com, but apparently it's the shit from what I've heard of people who have one. So that's that's something else you might want to consider too. I've heard that as well. I bought a can and I may still buy a sack because 
And as of right now, because of COVID, there is a national shortage of the bear vault ones, which are the most popular. So I had to buy an off-brand from like some hunting store. Um, so yeah. the bear vaults are in shortage. So the Ursac would be a great option. I may still get one. But where does the, the bear can is like COVID can't get into the bear canister? Is that one or two COVID? Yeah. Everyone's backpacking because of if you wear if you uh, use a bear canister as a face mask you'll never get covid <laughs> yeah but just put your head in it and jump off the <laughs> try to put the lid try to close the lid. Uh, so i hate my bear sack too jace my, it's it takes up so much freaking room in the pack yeah yeah, yeah. And it doesn't matter how much food you have there's still empty pace space rather yeah. in the in the bear canister so it's just like this you know, uh, I see. I feel like a, at least a liter or two liters of space is just empty air that you have to haul up with you. Totally, I can't stand it. Plus an extra three pounds, which is like my empty bear canister weighs more than my tent, which is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. But anyway, it's all about the camping too, because that's yeah. important. Yeah. So the other thing too is that there were maybe fifty people at least, maybe close to a hundred, camped in that valley, and people Sorry. kept rolling up. So Saturday, there are there are Saturday. numbered Friday night numbered campsites, and there's like nine of them. And it's like Holy Cross where there's numbered campsites and beyond that people have to camp on top of each other. So we got campsite number six, best seats in the house, but it's like 200 vertical feet above the nearest water source. We had to hike up and back down to get our water. Um, Great. Awesome campsite, best views, but make sure you get there early for this one and then bring earplugs because uh, there were a bunch of high school kids up there having a great time, but they were up late drinking. They had a different objective than we did um yeah pat and i got a early like up at 3 30 4 a.m start um and just just cruised we had a perfect day and when we got to k2 we were like okay do we have at least four hours because that's how long we knew it would take us and it was a crystal clear bluebird day we took our time maybe a dozen people on the route the whole day um it's smart on that one to make friends with the people you're climbing with unless you're climbing at a substantially different pace so you can climb together keep from kicking rocks off each other, make for good camaraderie and a good day. Um, we hiked with a guy named Nick from Purdue. Nick, if you're listening, good job. It was his third 14er. He, wow. had, done, he had done Elbert, then jumped up to Snowmass, <laughs> and then did Capitol. And he was, a, he, he was in a bicycle helmet, like a foam Walmart $30 bike helmet. And he was a Navy ROTC, so he had his Navy boots and his camo pants. And he... I'm, I'm on the knife edge and I'm taking a GoPro selfie and I hear someone laughing behind me. I thought he was laughing at me. I turn around like, what's up, dude? Is that funny? And he's like, no, dude, this is just nervous laughter. I'm like freaking out right now. <laughs> he's like, can I follow you guys? And I'm like, absolutely. So we hiked the next three hours, hour up and two hours back with Nick. And he kind of was our little shadow for the day. And he, he crushed it. But we had awesome weather. And we collected a few more, too, on the way back. Yeah. Another three uh gents two of them was a first but they were just fresh out of the marines i believe they said yeah their guy was a you know an aussie uh thrill seeker used to do like base jumping and stuff like that but uh he was crack up man he was just on the corner every time he passed somebody was like oh i heard there's a starbucks on top you know and <laughs> so he was man, they closed up the starbucks on top. <laughs> <laughs> but they uh yeah i mean it, but you could kind of tell like you know they would um and, and they were you know, they would let us know too, but they would get off a little off route up top. And, and, and when I say off route, I use that loosely because I know that there's a ridge route and you can take that, but it really sucks for the people below because the rock is loose there. It is steep. And if you, you're, you know, you're responsible for the people below you. Yeah. Uh, so we were very leery of having people above us. So, um, they, they did get clipped out a number of times and had to turn around. Um, but we ran into on the summit and they, the uh tagged along on the way back on the way down yeah. and they they were trying to take ridge proper which is a good route and it goes but it's um not preferable if there are people below you um i think my biggest takeaways from this were one like i already mentioned like i overlooked how mentally and physically taxing the day would be um i didn't you know we had great nutrition we had a great pace but four hours with like your life in your own hands making these crazy moves is a lot um and then I also thought that the knife edge for me personally was a little overhyped. Um, and I, and I say that cautiously and lightly because, you know, I don't want people to think that it's a picnic, but for me, I had, I had almost had nightmares about it, but I thought K2 and then that final move, like 200 feet below the summit were far worse than the knife edge itself. One, the rock is solid. It's like a sidewalk. 
two, there's no rock fall from above hazard. So you're just kind of walking, just scooting across this cool knife edge. And I thought it was a breeze. It was the easiest part of the whole route. Um, really, really enjoyed it. And I said this in my trip report, but I think I would not recommend doing this 14er um, just to say you've done the hardest one. I think you absolutely need to work your way up to it. Um, you know, it's the hardest one that I personally have done. It's the hardest one that I've done, but I think it was a black cloud over my head up to this point. And I think if you are trying to finish the 14ers, it's more within your reach than you might think. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree. I think the knife edge is the most solid rock on the entire route and it's incredible, but it's the exposure is very real, but the rock is very solid. There's plenty of cracks. You can do it different ways. Some people walk across it. Some people hang to the left. Some people butt scoot. There's no wrong way, but it's uh, before and after it that I think are the, yeah. That being said with the knife edge, I think, you know, I agree with both, both of the, you know, you, what you're saying, because it is very solid. It's much more comfortable than you would expect when you read the trip reports, but it's still, it's mentally taxing to cross it because it is so exposed. So even though it's solid rock, it's exposed. And so you're, you know, you're taking your time and you're looking down and you're seeing these huge 2000 foot drops. So I think that that's mentally tired. But the other thing is that's the only way down is going back across that thing. Right. So it's not like Kelso Ridge on Tories where, you know, if you go up Kelso's Ridge in the, in the weather turns and you don't want to go back down the class three route, you just head over to Gray's and do the, the standard, you know, class two and get down on Capitol. Once you get across the knife edge, you've got to go back across it to get back. And that, again, just adds so much energy, both physical and mental, to the climb. That, that, that I think, is what makes it such a, a difficult day. Totally. And I think it makes it that much harder that the mountain is so deceiving where it looks like you could bail off the ridge at any point. But I've heard it described like a bowling ball where it's like flattish at the top and then gets out rounder and rounder and rounder until it just drops off into nothing. And you look like, you know, only a few points on the whole route is it just sheer under you. But you look like you could just kind of scoop down this gully and down to the lake. But down that gully is a 600-foot cliff. <laughs> so I think that's the other kind of weird mental part of that one is you, there's nowhere to bail, like you just said. There's no easy way down. There's no shortcut. That is the trail to certain death. And right. 2017 should show that. There's an easier way. It would be the standard. That's it. You know, so that is the capital is one that you go back the way you can every single time. Period. Yeah. Should we hear about your first experience, Sean, or should we move to the final question about is this the hardest 14er? Well, I was going to move to the final question, but I guess we can table that. And uh, yeah, so I did it a non-standard route the first time I did it. Um, so I went up West Maroon. I'm sorry, West Snowmass Creek to Moon Lake, and then went up to K2. And, uh, you know, nine times out of 10, if you ask me what's better, the non-standard route or the standard route, I would always say the non-standard route. But I think in this case, this is one of the few exceptions that I actually think the standard route is better. And two reasons for that. One, the non-standard route on Capitol, if you go, you know, Moon Lake, um, you do avoid crowds for the first part, but it still takes you up to K2. So when you get to K2, um, you're still meeting those crowds that you see. So, you know, it doesn't avoid any, any crowds per se. But the second reason, and I think the more important reason, is the view that you get of Capitol from Capitol Lake is one of the greatest views of any 14er that you will ever see. And if you go from the other side, and miss that view, I just don't think you experience capital the same way. Hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, I, I remember telling these guys, these four guys, you know, short rope stiffler and a, uh, what, what's your, what's, what are, what are we calling Patrick now? Uh, walk mode. Walk mode Patrick. <laughs> Almost died on capital, Johan. Uh, I was telling these guys when we did it from the standard route, like when I die, you know, cut my heart out of my chest and bury my heart at Capitol Lake. Cause this is to have, to look up at that peak and see it is just an amazing view. So I think this is one of the ones where the, you know, the, this non-standard route, at least the one that I did, I don't think is as good as the standard route, but that is, uh, you know, not saying anything about the actual technical rope climbing route that you can do up the, 
what is it, the uh, east face? What is it, north face? What is it? Northwest Buttress. We're on the non-standard 14er podcast after all. So it's it goes different. against the grain to recommend a standard off, but I agree. <laughs> so pretty, so gorgeous. And you can see that, you see the knife edge from the trailhead, like eight miles away or seven miles away. And you're looking at it the whole time. Slowly getting bigger, slowly getting bigger. You come across these giant lush meadows and it's just, yeah, it's, it's my favorite approach out of any of the 14ers. I do love the philosophical question of, you know, is capital the hardest? Because I think definitely, like, if anyone says that, I'm, I can't, you know, really disagree with them too much because I would say it's right up there. But personally, I would, I'd actually put Pyramid a little bit harder. That, and that's just technicality or mileage or what? A little bit of both. Pyramid's looser rock. I think it's um, because it's looser rock for longer, it's a, it feels more mentally taxing. And then the elevation gain on pyramid on the standard route really man, it just seems to take it out of you in a way that capital doesn't. So, yeah, I think I would say pyramid might have a, a slight edge over capital being the most, most difficult. But, you know, you ask 10 people what the most difficult 14er is, and you're going to get 10 different answers. So, I think with this peak, it, there's, there's two different ways you can dice it. Is it the most difficult or is it the most dangerous? And I think there are two different answers with that too. Right. Um, you know, I, I agree with Sean that my biggest suffer fest, but that was self that, you know, that was a self-inflicted wound right there. Like we didn't have to go that route. Capital, you, this is your one standard route. Yes. Yeah, so the most difficult of the standard. Routes. Right. So when you think about your standard routes and, and, I agree with Sean too. I think it, you know, a lot of people are going to maybe think, Oh, capital isn't that bad, but I know some of your circumstances are going to dictate that, but I, I would have a hard time telling somebody that capital is not the hardest when you talk about the physical longevity, the mental um, aspect of it, of how focused you need to be for how long um, I wouldn't disagree on pyramid or North Maroon either uh, just because I think the rock on those two is way worse, but um, those would be the ones that stuck out to me. I would say you could put either of those three in one, two, three, and, and to me it would be the, the top three. It could be either direction. So what about most dangerous? Subjective. There's 20 people in Little Bear. Our yeah. Little Bear is dangerous because of rock fall. There's no one on Little Bear, and it's a different story. If you look at numbers, I think Long's is, you know, the deadliest. fatality since 1960, I think Long's is the most fatal mm -hmm. you know and, and most people who are you know semi-experienced 14er climbers would say longs really isn't that bad right. but i think longs attracts a lot of people who aren't experienced enough to know what they're doing whereas you know i don't know the elks i think draw a different class of climber and the objective risks are so much greater so you can be a, a world-class mountaineer and you can get into rockfall danger or weather on any of the elk range and end up dead Whereas I think on, you know, some of the other higher fatality peaks like Long's Peak, it's more, there's less objective danger and more like, oh, that was probably not a great decision that you made to try to summit Long's Peak in a t-shirt and Chacos. Yeah. Or Shubacus. Or Shubacus. I also think with the Elk Peaks, you get this weird, it draws a weird, like, kind of crowd that thrives on bravado where <laughs> I haven't seen this in other ranges as much, but on the elk peaks, it's like you get people out there that are doing it just to say they've done an elk peak or just to say they've climbed the hardest 14er. We've had that on all our elk peaks with the do it for the grand people on Maroon. And we had someone, even Castle Conundrum, like it's um, people want to say they, and I hate this word, say they've conquered an elk 14er. Um, but I don't get that as much with other ranges. A little bit with the Crestones and the Traverse, we felt that, but it draws an interesting crowd where you get these like college kids that are, you know, like, you know, anyway, I don't know. I just think it draws kind of a, a different crowd that want to do it just to say they've conquered it. Yeah. That, that, I've never thought about that, Jace, but I, I think you're totally right. Cause you know, you think about the, um, the San Juans, I don't ever recall seeing like a marathon runner from California in the San Juans who just wanted to summit Wetterhorn. Right. You know, but, uh, in the Elks, you, you know, you meet people all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, I've never done a 14er before, and I'm, I'm out here from 
Chicago and I'm a marathon runner and they're, they're in amazing shape. Don't get me wrong, but it's like they've never been in the mountains before, but they want to do maroon or North maroon or pyramid or capital. And it's like, man, that doesn't seem like a wise idea if you don't have any experience at, at altitude with mountain weather, but yeah. So yeah, so, they think maybe there is something about the Elks compared to the other I, ranges. I wonder if that's because it's next to, to Aspen. And I think that, you know, where do you think the guy, the marathon runner from Chicago, you know, he flies in, if maybe this is his first trip, maybe it's his 20th, who knows? Is it just the drunk bartender? And he's like, where is there a good place to hike? Hey, you know, Capitol Peaks just right over here. You should put on your sneakers. It's the hardest one, go for it. <laughs> yeah. Or, or is this something that, you know, a lot of these people just, you know, is, is it just they heard it from somebody? Did they see it on the gram? I mean, social media plays a factor, right? But I, I wonder you know, how, how somebody picks capital over the iconic Maroon Bells. Right. Maybe the Deadly Bells sign, now that it's back, is back, yeah. has the effect. Is it? Yeah. Does it return to recreate? Yeah, recreated. Well, dedicated, or, yeah. Or like, sorry, I'm just spilled the beans, Waterhorn. My, Terror is my favorite peak. I think is a way better peak. No offense to capital, like I love capital, but there's like not as much of a conquering feeling on Waterhorn as it is just for us, like pure enjoyment and like solitude and Columbine flowers and scenery and all these other moving pieces and capital is just air quote the hardest. So I think it drives more traffic toward that peak. So I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, after my experience, I really want to try a couple more 14ers, but none in the elk range. <laughs> <laughs> San Juan's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks guys so much for listening. We hope that you've, um, found this to be a fruitful and valuable podcast for you. As always, we encourage you to make your own decisions. Be smart, especially with this peak. Do not take it lightly. There's a reason it's regarded as the hardest and one of the most dangerous 14ers. Um, we would not recommend doing this uh, just to say you've done the hardest peak, but if you're on the journey to complete all the 14ers, this one, like we said, may be within reach more than you think. Uh, we loved it. Hope you do too. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Okay. <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good times, guys. Nice. Yeah. This is great. Really fun. That's great. What about the three? Do you need to do three words or anything like that? Or is that three words to describe capital? Or we got or rapid like fire. Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Rapid fire round. Three words. Or one word. Maybe one word for each of you. One word. And yeah. it has to has to be different. Don't take my word. Describe capital in one word. Ready? Go. Limit. That's a good one. Regal. Oh, I will say epic, stoic, invigorating, unforgettable, Ranger Bob, which is Ranger, Ranger Bob, hyphen, <laughs> bear hyphen, that's a hyphen. <laughs> I'll just say, I'll say one more comment because I think it needs to be said. So capital, I think should not be entered into lightly, but looking back of all the 14ers, I think I've done those two times I've summoned capital may mean more to me than any other summit. Um, Cause that, that experience, I just have such vivid memories. You know, you, you do graze. I don't, I don't really remember graze that much. It was a hike and you got to a summit. Right. And I don't remember a, a lot of the Sawatch 14ers, but I can like, if I stop and think I can remember like exact moves on the knife edge of like grabbing certain rocks and putting my foot down I can remember, remember like Johan's fall so vividly. I can remember being on the summit. It was just such a rich experience. It's like this movable feast, you know, that you can just, the rest of my life, I can go back to that like a buffet and, and feed off those memories. So I think, you know, for those people who have the experience, who can do it, go out there and get capital because it is, it's, it's a great bucket list thing to do.